0: There's a book called uh, Flags of Our Fathers. It was written by a guy named James Bradley, and it tells the story of his father. Uh, His father was a World War II medic, and uh, he was a medic during the Battle of Iwo Jima, Uh, World War II. Now, during his lifetime, his father never once mentioned any of his experiences on the battlefield, never mentioned it, the the subject was completely off limits uh, in the family. But after dad passed away, uh, his son did some research and he discovered all of these heroic acts that his father had accomplished out there on the battlefield in the most horrible setting And so he wrote the book. And you know, heroic acts are often found in horrific settings. It just seems to be a thing. And that's probably one of the reasons why those stories need to get told. And and we're at a story like that this morning it's the story of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the most horrible setting where the most heroic act was ever accomplished. And and we've been making our way um, for quite some time uh, in a series that's called The Journey. We've been working through the Gospel of Mark. We started last fall, um, and it's taken us on this journey of discovering who Jesus is, what he's done, and why it matters to our lives today. And and we're we're at this part um, that's often referred to um, as the passion, the passion. It details... The suffering that Jesus went through, what he endured, and and to be honest with you, it, it's it's pretty brutal. Um, it's it's so horrible, in fact, that you almost want to just turn the page and skip over all of this suffering and and just advance right to Easter morning, right to the resurrection. But but the suffering, it's there. It's been written down. It's been handed down to us so that we could see it, so that we can understand what it cost Jesus uh, to accomplish our redemption. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're going to start in at verse 32. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The is going to be on the screen behind me as well. Um, but it may come as a surprise to you that Jesus' suffering, that this passion, um, it started Before he was betrayed, Uh, it started before he was arrested. It started before he was ever beaten or whipped or anyone laid a hand on him at all. Uh, Jesus' suffering, his passion, began in this garden scene. and from what the gospel writers tell us, all the gospel writers, they make it clear that this garden, this garden of Gethsemane and what happened there uh, when Jesus suffered this most crushing pain at the very deepest level of his life. You know, there's different kinds of sufferings, right? There's, there's physical pain, right? That's, oftentimes what we equate with pain is physical pain. So if I ask you, what is the most pain you've ever been in? You can probably tell me, you know, like uh, the Saturday before Easter several years ago when I was riding my mountain bike in my backyard, I crashed, flipped over, and broke my neck. That hurt. <laughs> it was very painful. Um, and oftentimes we equate pain with physical pain, but, but we understand that there's many different types of pain, many different types of suffering. There's, there's mental pain, there's emotional pain, there's relational pain, there's psychological pain. That's all very real. And, and this is what Jesus experienced uh, in this garden scene. So if you want to just follow along, I'm just going to read through the scene And here's what it says. In verse 32, it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not I will, but your will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation." The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to say. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So this takes place in Gethsemane and Gethsemane literally means oil press. And so this place, this garden was the place where they would collect olives and they would crush them in an olive press. And as a result of that crushing, this precious oil would emerge. It would be extracted and collected and used and and that's sort of an illustration of what's happening to Jesus in this scene. This is the place where the weight of what Jesus has been called to accomplish, what his mission has been all along, it comes crushing down on him. And and it's more than a physical weight, right? Jesus is being crushed in every way possible. This unbearable emotional, a spiritual weight was just bearing down on him. And the question as we look through this scene is, is Jesus going to tap out? Will he tap out? Because the option at this point is still there. It's, you know, it's like on, on Interstate 287 when you're getting near to the Tappan Zee Bridge and when you hit Tarrytown, you see this sign. It says, last exit before the bridge, right? Once you pass that exit, that Tarrytown exit, The choice has been made for you. You are going to end up on the other side of the Hudson River one way or the other. Um, Gethsemane, this was Jesus' last chance to exit before the cross. After this, there'd be no turning back. And, And here in this garden, we see Jesus in three different scenes, in three different ways. We see him writhing in pain. We see him wrestling in prayer. And we see him resolving to do the Father's will. And so the first scene is is one of Jesus writhing in pain. Um, He is in a state of emotional agony. Uh, It says he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he tells his disciples, his closest companions, my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. It's hard to fathom that, that, that Jesus is in critical condition. Uh, this stress and this pressure is just overwhelming him, even to the point of death that it 's so bad that he, he wonders if he 's even going to make it to the cross he 's wondering if he 's going to just die right there in the garden because his his soul is that distressed it feels like that may actually happen and 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 maybe it 's worth making the point this morning that the agony that 's expressed in this passage it 's it's actual. It's, it's for real. You know, sometimes when we get to passages like this, we, we can blow them off. We can assume that there's some kind of asterisk attached to the pain that Jesus suffered because he can't be in real agony. After all, he's, he's God, right? And so, you know, just like when we read about Jesus getting hungry or getting tired, uh, he couldn't have really gotten hungry. He couldn't have really gotten tired because he's God, no, his agony is actual. His divinity did not give him some kind of hall pass out of humanity, right? The whole point of Jesus' humanity is that he really did suffer as one of us, fully human. And, and, and that means it's just like you and just like me. He experienced that. And, and he put all of his divine privileges on the shelf. Uh, he lived dependent on the heavenly father. And in this scene, we see him in the middle of the most dreadful day of his life. Uh, The Greek word for distressed, it could be translated horror struck. That's, That's where he's at. He is terrified, absolutely dreading what's waiting him. He says, my soul is deeply grieved. The Greek word implies this intense mental distress, pushing in from all sides. Um, sort of like crushing a soda can in your hands. Uh, Luke adds that he's actually sweating drops of blood, which is an actual medical condition. It happens; it can happen when someone's under that intense of uh, a pressure and stress. This is where Jesus is at. Uh, you know, I was only able to watch this movie once, but uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that opening D-Day scene from the movie Saving Private Ryan. If you remember that, if you've seen that, in my mind, um, as I recall, the U.S. landing crafts are are moving towards the shores of Normandy, right? And, And the soldiers are there in the boat. They're waiting in silence. They can't see over the walls, but they know what's gonna happen next. The front door of that boat is gonna drop open and they're gonna exit directly into overwhelming enemy artillery aimed right at them. And as they're waiting there for that door to drop open, the dread is thick. It's overwhelming. The soldiers are trembling. They're they're crying. They're they're getting sick. That's Jesus in Gethsemane. That door is about to drop open, and this is where he's at. So Jesus is, is writhing, but he doesn't just stay there. He also wrestles. He, he brings his life before the Father in prayer. And the content of this prayer is, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? If you kind of think about it, he, he really prays a gut-level honest prayer. He, he addresses God in the most intimate way. He says, Abba, Father, right? That word Abba, the closest English translation is Daddy, He's, he's talking very personally to his heavenly father, and then he calls on the omnipotence of his father. He says, all things are possible for you. And we've known that. We've seen that. That's, that has been the theme of this entire book that we've been looking at from the beginning to the end, that there is nothing impossible for God. Or We, we sing about it, right? There's nothing that our God can't do. There's no mountain that he can't move or no wall he can't break through. And Jesus all through this book has been demonstrating that over and over again in every scene and every situation. One example was that father. Remember that father brought his son to Jesus and he asked Jesus, hey, if there's anything you can do, can you have compassion on us? Can you help my son? And Jesus says, if, what do you mean if? All things are possible for one who believes. And so Jesus is praying that prayer to his heavenly father. He prays, remove this cup from me. He makes this big ask and he's asking, Lord, would you you direct some of your omnipotence in this direction right now? But he closes the prayer with this qualification, yet not what I will, but your will be done. Now, if nothing else, doesn't that just show us and highlight how dreadful the suffering was? How dreadful the cross was. Jesus is pleading, Father, if there's any possible alternative option, would you please show that? Would you please let that be? This, this suffering, he says, it's it's suffocating. The weight is crushing. The horror is terrifying. So is there any other way? That's what he asks. And the answer, of course, is no. There there is no other way. The father's will is for his son to be crushed, just like those olives. Crushed physically crushed, spiritually crushed in every way. The, the prophet Isaiah foretold it hundreds of years previous. It says that it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And this is, this is born out here in this passage that the father's will was for the sinless son to drink this, this crushing cup Jesus asked, take this cup from me. What, what is this cup that he's asking this father to take from him? It's, it's the cup of God's wrath. It's, it's the cup that's filled with the just punishment for the sin of the world. That from that moment in time when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in another garden, sin had been set loose in this world into our existence. And with sin came death And ever since that moment, that had been the case, that had been the reality, that had been the way things would be. And the will of the father was for his son to deal with that, to resolve that issue by paying the price and defeating death. And so in that cup was the punishment for every wrong, every lying word, every lustful thought, every selfish attitude, every prideful ambition. It's there in that cocktail. This is the cup of death that Jesus is being called to drink. And you see, this is the point that it was God's will to take that cup from you and from me for our sins, for our rebellion, for our offenses, and to set it before Jesus to drink it down for us. And this is the unbearable reality that Jesus is wrestling through. And yet he comes through that time of wrestling with a resolution on the other side. He says it, not my will, but yours be done. He gets to the point where he says, let's do this, let's roll, I'm trusting you, Father. I will not tap out. I'll drink that cup. Crush me, not them. That was his final decision. And we know that that cost him everything. That decision took him to the cross where he died the death that we deserved. He was crushed in our place. And that was the father's will, not to save his son from death, but through the death of his son to defeat and destroy the power of death itself. So he went to the cross. He paid that price for us. And the reality is, is because he drank that cup, because he let his life be crushed for us, we can have confidence. We can live with the confidence that our father, our God will never make us drink that cup. He will not crush us. He'll never put that weight on us because that night in the garden, Jesus surrendered to the father's will. He resolved, he refused to tap out and he said, I'll go willingly and I'll let my body break. So his pain is our gain and that's what this is all about. It's, it's what we call the gospel, trusting that Jesus paid the price in full when he suffered, when he died, when he gave his life as that sacrifice on the cross, that everything that had to be done was done and accomplished on the cross. It's, it's trusting, it's believing that what he did, he didn't just do in some kind of vague abstract way, but he did it for you personally, for me personally, that, that his sacrifice accomplished our forgiveness. Or as we sing, we're forgiven because he was forsaken. We're accepted because he was condemned. That price what it cost him to accomplish that salvation. It it may be something that our minds will never fully fathom. We may never comprehend how much it cost, but Jesus' heroic actions in this horrific scene in Gethsemane, it, it gives us a clue. And And so we respond to that. And and that's kind of what we're doing here this morning as we kind of segue into a a time of celebrating baptism. That uh, this is an incredibly vivid illustration of that reality, of that personal decision that says that what Jesus did, that was for me personally, that I receive what he did. When, When he died, he was raised. That action that's illustrated through going down in the water, coming up just like Jesus went into the grave and came out, that, that that's, that's the defining moment in the journey of faith, um, that, that what happened to him applies to me. And, and he pours out that grace. Uh, he pours it out to people like you and me, just like he poured it out to his disciples who were sleeping there, who had nothing to offer him at his time of incredible need. Uh, we just respond and just say, thank you, Lord, uh, for your amazing grace. And so we're going to transition. I hope that kind of sets up what, would, what it is that we're doing through this time of baptisms. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And then we're going to just uh, prepare uh, for our time of baptism together. And uh, you'll be hearing a little bit more from from some, uh, from some of the people here. So let's pray together.